Good to have you with us as the 206 rolls on. Tom Glasgow with former Cougar Michael Bumpus. And Bump, what, what is cool about this uh, show this week is we have two legends of the Eastern <laughs> Washington sports scene. Of course, I'm speaking one of you and what you did at Washington State with the Cougars. But our guest tonight was one of the, I think you could call him one of the founding fathers of the Gonzaga dynasty. Matt Santangelo was there when the, when the Zags were making some noise for the first time in the NCAA tournament. They were a Cinderella team. They have shed that label. They didn't get the goal they wanted this year. We're going to talk about that with Matt, but uh, some big news regarding the coaching staff. First of all, Matt Santangelo, how are you, big fella? I'm doing well, thank you. I don't know if I'd ever call myself the founding father, but I won't deny it if someone else says it, so I appreciate <laughs> yeah. the intro. I'm happy to do that for you, absolutely. All right, uh, Tommy Lloyd, 20 years uh, by the side of Mark Few, has taken the Arizona job. Um, just your initial reaction to this, and why do you think Coach Lloyd, who has had previous opportunities, decided now was the right time to move on? Yeah, so the initial response is well-deserved. Um, right behind that, I think behind, was a huge loss for GU. I just think he's, I, I think the world of him, he was coming in, uh, as I graduated in 2000, he was coming in that, that spring, that summer, as I was leaving campus. I never uh, had a chance to plan for him, but I did, when I did the radio, I did the radio for seven of eight seasons. So I got to spend a lot of time with Tommy and his family. Um, he is sharp. I mean, great basketball mind, great recruiter. Um, and we always knew that he would be a head coach. I mean, that was never a, never a question. So to kind of answer your second, your second thought is like, he's, I think he's had other opportunities, but not to the scale of Arizona. You know, this is one of the, this is one of the premier jobs. Um, prior to this hiring process, we thought of it as one of the premier jobs in, in the country. After the hiring process, that throws a little shade on, on what, what the heck's going on, going on down in the desert. Um, but well-deserved and likes it. I think it's, it's just a, it would be interesting to see of all the things, all the losses through athletes through graduation or transfer that are professional, the coaching staff, Coach Greer going to San Diego, Coach Rice going to Boise State. This one I'm the most curious about to see the actual impact to Gonzaga on a day-to-day -day basis. Matt, first, I want to say you have one of the uh, best names in all of sports, Santangelo. Uh, <laughs> this, this rolls off the tongue beautifully. Uh, two, I want to ask you about Coach. 20 years he was at um, Gonzaga, and he really specialized on getting overseas recruits to Spokane. What is it about his coaching or his recruiting that really filtered these guys to play for the Zags, and um, how do you replace that? Yeah, so I, I think... Um, that international connection came because after he was done in college, he played a couple years in Germany. So when Gonzaga first was like on the cusp, so kind of after our group, then you had Dan Dickow, then you have Blake Steps group. And during that time, you know, we were, the program was established itself as a high level program, certainly not what it is today, but kind of, you know, the top of West Coast Conference and a perennial NCAA tournament team. Um, but they could not get into the households of American talent. So where, where do you go? What do you do? And Tommy Lloyd, because of the relationships he had uh, in Europe, was able to really leverage that. I mean, Roni Turioff was the first big one that came over and had a great college career and a great you know, NBA career for that matter. Um, but Tommy was able to do that. Tommy can flat out outsell. Like he can just, he can sell. He's, he's dynamic. He's engaging. 
Um, he, he likes to see uh, the angles, you know, likes to be able to read the room and understand exactly the kind of the buttons to push, if you will. Like he's just a, he's a really um, uh, thoughtful salesperson. So I think, you know, or maybe it was the language barrier. I don't know. Six of one, half a dozen of another. I don't know which one it was. But, <laughs> um, but so he was really dynamic in that sense. And then, you know, then players came and started to have success. And then it just kind of, you know, snowball effect. It kind of just kept happening, kept happening. Um, but he was very instrumental in that jump in talent uh, that Gonzaga experienced as they were still building the foundation as to what it's become. But the other thing that I was always impressed with Tommy, you know, when I was doing the radio and really getting to see behind the scenes, because, you, you know, you obviously you don't you don't get to see the recruiting, right? You're not in the living room with families and things like yeah. that. Um, but was his X's and O's. He's a tinker. He likes to tinker with plays. He thinks up plays. He likes to, how do we move people? And then on top of that, the emotional intelligence of like, so-and-so can't do this. Like we can't put so-and-so in this situation. They're not ready. You know, we can't call so-and-so's number here because they, you know, so he being able to understand the chess pieces, kind of the, the art and the science, right? He, he does a little bit of both, which makes him so dynamic. You mentioned the X's and O's and, and, I want you to expand on that a little bit because, you know, from the outside looking in, well, that that's the head coach most of the time. Right. And that's Mark. So in terms of game management and what he's, what kind of offense he's going to run, do you, do you think there's any type of learning curve for, for Tommy or a guy like Tommy who hasn't, you know, been calling the timeouts yeah. for, for 20 years? I, th I think, uh, gosh, what do I think on that one? I think knowing what I, what I know of Gonzaga basketball, the coaching has always been kind of open architecture. And even when, when few was an assistant coach under Dan Fitzgerald, and then it transitioned to Dan Munson, who was my coach for two years. And then ultimately coach few my senior year, like even then under, under the, the old guard, Dan Fitzgerald, um, you know, few ran the offense, Munson ran the defense Fitz was kind of the, the head coach. So it, all along, like the assistant coaches have had tremendous responsibility in this whole thing. So the ability for Tommy Lloyd to implement plays or tinker um, or run pra practice plans or individual workouts, I think that's always been kind of part of the ethos of GU. Like that's, that's not going to be a big change. Uh, you know, timeouts in game management. I think Tommy's always thought like a head coach. So even though he wasn't doing it, you know, it was always, it's not going to be completely brand new to him. I think the thing that's going to be interesting to see is like, as we all know, that's a huge jump from that one chair to the next chair, right? It's only, you know, now it's six feet where once it was just 12 inches, but that's a, we all know that's a huge jump um, and doing it in an environment like Arizona, um, I think it's going to come with its own dynamic sets of challenges. So I think that's going to be not so much um, the theory uh, or the practice of being a head coach. I don't think that's going to be a challenge for Tommy Lloyd. Um, I think the, the nature of wearing all that responsibility is going to be a learning curve for him. So, uh, Marfew, he loses his right-hand man. Who does he lean on now? Is, are we going to see a decline in international guys coming over? Should we expect the Zags to really keep this thing going? Like, where, where do they go from here? Yeah, I think, I think that's the million-dollar question, right? I think everyone in Zag Nation is asking the same thing. Like, what in the world – because people who have been close to the program know Tommy's impact. So this isn't a, this is, you know, not a surprise that he's, he's been uh, or was considered and then obviously um, offered the job. Um, they have a great staff, you know, Brian Michelson, um, who's just a few years younger than me, 
has done a great job. He's been really instrumental in some of the local talent, especially starting with Zach Collins, the first one and done player now with the Blazers. Um, Jalen, like he's been really instrumental in some of these recruits. Um, I think he's going to make the jump. Roger Powell, who just is only has a year under his belt, um, obviously makes the jump, but they're going to have to go outside the family. I don't think that that next assistant, I think everyone shifts the chair, but I'm not sure how they fill that last chair. Um, they're going to have to go outside, but who, who doesn't want to coach a Gonzaga? I think the um, challenge is that kind of that, that, that partnership, you know, that trust that coach few and Tommy Lloyd have developed over two decades of doing this and in the, you know, in the trenches, right. And they built this thing to this level of excellence. Um, you know, where does coach few find that confidant, right. Find the, find, find his buddy, find, find the partner yeah. to be able to share these things and, and not have to just be coach few, you know, that relationship that, Hey, I knew you before you were coach few, you know, there's value in that too, you know? So, um, you know, I think that that'll be kind of an interesting dynamic, but it's a, it's a gap. I mean, there's just, there's no way to say it like without, I know, the culture at Gonzaga is extremely strong. I don't expect them to fall off at all. Um, I expect Arizona to get better because I believe in Tommy Lloyd, but that's a gap that needs to be filled. And that's going to be a challenge for the, for the program to do that. You know, you mentioned, <clears throat> excuse me, you mentioned Gonzaga probably going outside the family to fill this spot. And, you know, there were a lot of people pushing for Arizona to stay inside the family. They obviously have gone outside the family one of the biggest uh, critics has been uh, Gilbert Arenas yeah. you know a guy we're all very familiar with he's really trashing on Tommy Lloyd I mean doesn't even want to say his name my, my question is this talk about the pressure Matt of of Tommy going into this this you know program where Lute Olson uh, rest his soul is is still very much beloved and people linked to loot. I mean, that's what people were, were talking about. So not only is he dealing with that and he's going to have expectations, but he's taking over a program uh, that the NCAA has um, come to the conclusion, committed five major violations, five level one violations. So uh, he, He's not coming in cleanly, if you will. And I know rarely do you, I mean, you're taking over because for whatever reason, yeah. usually something yeah. wasn't working. So how do you think he's just going to handle all of that, dealing with the media, all of those things when he steps into this new position and, and really starts going at it? Yeah, and that, that was some of the questions I asked too, just in this whole experience of this kind of this public debate around the next head coaching job at Arizona. Um, but Tommy's smart, like he's not, he's going in eyes wide open, you know, he, he's aware of the, the detractors and certainly the former players, he's probably got to have some great support from former players too. You know, there's gotta be a great, you know, a solid relationship between him and Stoudemire. I know Jason Terry and him, you know, solid relationship. I'm imagining Miles Simon and solid relationship. So that whole Gilbert and uh, Richard Jefferson conversation was just kind of, it was more a reflection on them than on Tommy Lloyd is what anyone who I think can think critically about it and have a little bit of an open mind is it's just as it, the way it is now on Arizona side, they certainly had a lot of, you know, inside the family to choose from. I mean, they got a lot of, you know, pedigree in their in coaches around the country and at various levels. So that would have been a, you know, a, a tougher internal conversation. Um, but Tommy's smart. He'll answer the questions in the right way. He'll coach. He'll start to build that culture. He doesn't have as much pressure because of the sanctions immediately. 
Um, this isn't a you have to win tomorrow kind of job. You have to win in three years or whenever the you know the sanctions kind of fall off. Um, and so he'll be able to build it. The you know have a couple of years here to build the program and the culture as he sees fit. Um, but I do think it's unfortunate because, I mean, what do they say? You're all, you're only you're either running from something or running to something. And Arizona should be a job you're running to, right? That's yeah. a special place with a special history. Um, and unfortunately, it's 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 tarnished a little bit because of how this whole process has gone down. Not to mention the sanctions. The sanctions are the worst part about it. Yeah. And we're not, we didn't even really talk about that. All right. We got to talk about it. What'd you see in the national championship? Yeah. I'll tell you what I saw. And then you tell me what, what you saw. I just saw a Baylor team that had great guard play off the dribble. It was hard to keep up. They opened up five for five when it comes to three point shots. Um, overall, what was your impression of that national championship? Cause I really thought that this was going to be the year for the Zacks. Yeah. Well, I saw the same thing as you. I would even go further that it looked like what I watched was a Gonzaga team that did not belong on the floor. I thought Baylor was head and shoulders, chest, head and shoulders better than at every position, every position. Um, and so ton of credit to Baylor. I've watched Baylor a lot this year and Baylor, there's great ties because John Jacobs, the, the director of operations, Rem Backham is former walk on NGUs on staff at, at Baylor. So there's a great relationship there between coaches, the coaches too. So there was a nice, you know, nice lead up. So this is uh, this is more of a comment of Gonzaga's inability to play at that level on that night than anything. Baylor was superlative, like they had a ton of respect. And I like their style of play. And man, I wouldn't want to see Davion Mitchell. I know that that dude is crazy. Um, and so that that's the, and I think that's the unfortunate thing because, you know, 30, I wouldn't say it's 50, 50. I still say 70% of the people at least respect what Gonzaga's accomplished and 30% of the people hate on them. But 30% of the people were going to hate on them even if they won. Somehow they were going to make it about how Baylor did something wrong, not Gonzaga won. Um, but those 30%, the storyline that those detractors tend to focus on, Gonzaga proved them all true. Can't play big physical basketball. Can't play at that speed. Not tough enough. Not athletic enough. And it looked that way. And I think that for me as a, as a former player, and obviously a proud Zag too, um, was the hardest part. Like, I don't mind losing but you gotta, you gotta compete and we lost that somewhere. But I did get kind of mad early on in that game for a lot of reasons, probably because the one shot they missed, they had like 17 offensive rebounds on the first possession. I was like, oh, oh this isn't gonna go well. <laughs> Trouble. Yeah, but Grant Hill early on as the commentator talked about the Christian Leitner game um, when he beat Kentucky at the, the uh, free throw line jumper. And he's like, it was hard. Like coach K had to work to get them emotionally up after that game to play the next game. But then I got mad because they had a week, like Duke won in the elite eight game. They had a week to get emotionally back up. Gonzaga had a day. So like yeah. the fact that, so that led me to believe that I think if Duke's not in the tournament, no Duke commentator should be allowed to commentate the games. Like get rid of the whole, <laughs> get rid of the whole thing. Like let's, you were let's, ready to slide in. Yeah. But you know, Matt, I'm glad. I'm glad you brought that up, though, because to me, like I get it, you had an emotional win in the semifinals, right? But I find it hard to believe that Gonzaga's problems were they couldn't get up for a national championship yep. game that would have finished a historic undefeated season, the first since 76. So I just, I just didn't even like that argument. And I thought it took a little bit away from how good Baylor was. Yeah. I mean, I just, yep. I, I just, you, you, you cannot be like, oh, we beat, we beat UCLA. 
let's go try to win a title. So I, 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 didn't, I didn't like, I just thought that was kind of weak. Well, I think, right. But then you, you look at like the, the coaching, which will kind of transition into the transfer portal here too. I mean, you're basically 60, you know, you're playing national championship love game, you know, that many games, that many nights, you weren't ready. You know, you just, I mean, and so that comes that that's not a, a, a takeaway from Baylor. This is a, again, a comment on G or you weren't ready because you didn't have the depth, whatever the reason was you played an overnight or overtime game. You're going to be physically, you know, even 17, 18 year old kids get tired. We yeah. rose colored glasses. We don't remember that. But I remember being tired and sore all the time as an 18 year old mm -hmm. peak of my athletic life athlete. So they get tired, but, um, so, but then you start to look at those larger things and the fact that they hadn't, I mean, Oklahoma punched them in the face a little bit. UCLA definitely punched them in the face, but they ain't been punched this hard. And then they kind of, it just folded. I, I got really kind of down when they had, we had a couple of those, um, um, the European connection here, Michael, but a couple of soccer injuries too, where like they, people would just fall down. All of a sudden they're on the sideline getting stretched out and going like, <laughs> this ain't a time that we not, we're, we're doing this now. Like, what are we doing? Like, how'd we get here? Um, and so it was, it was hard to watch and it took away from the wonderful season they had. Um, but for me, my, my, again, my two cents, I'm a journey guy. Like I like the journey. The destination is just, uh, uh, something that happens. Um, and so like, I don't define success or failure by a national championship or a, you know, championship in general. Yeah. I know you got something else coming up. How you doing time-wise? I'm doing well. Okay. All right. Go ahead, yeah. Bump. Uh, let's talk about Suggs. I, yep. I thought he was the best player in the tournament, in my opinion. Um, great shot. I grew up a UCLA fan. Um, I've been in Washington for 16 years, so I got love for the Zags. So I was conflicted when he made that shot. Yep, but yep. He, he had me when he gave love to Kobe Bryant. You see the L.A. sign yep. behind me. I'm a Kobe guy. What do you? What's the future for Suggs? How do you feel about this kid? I think the ceiling's high. Um I think the NCAA tournament really showed well for him, not just because of the, you know, the UCLA game, but he started playing defense. I think he went through a freshman lull where he just, he didn't have to because of the way Gonzaga plays and West Coast conference play. So it was fun to see him elevate his game really with the BYU game in Vegas, the West Coast conference tournament championship, and then carry that on. Um, I think he tried too hard in the national championship. I think it, that start with the first two quick fouls and really yeah. kind of set the wrong tone. He was trying to set the tone, but it wasn't necessarily the right tone. Um, but I think he, he's just going to, I mean, clearly he's just going to get better. He's built for the NBA game um, with his skill set. He's a tremendous passer and it seems like a happy passer, you know, it wasn't like a, Oh my gosh, I couldn't get to my shot. I better drop it off to someone else. Like he was a willing passer um, and has, you know, and the toughness, like I think the UCLA game, the, the, the uh, sequence where he blocked the shot and then dropped the dime, the one-hand bounce pass across court to Drew Timmy for the dunk. Um, that was every bit of better highlight than the, the jumper to win the game. Um, and so he has the ability, just he has another level that we got to see in the NCAA tournament that we didn't, didn't, didn't need to see, but didn't get to see all year long or for some parts of the year. I think that was the play of the tournament. I mean, you're, you're right. The, the highlight reel for the next 50 years will be the shot. But the block in the pass, best sequence in the tournament, not even close. I'll yeah. do respect to UCLA, uh, just for Michael. Uh, so you got two kids going into the transfer portal, uh, uh, Omar Balo, uh, Pavel Zakharov. Is that significant at all? Did, did Mark basically tell them, hey, fellas, 
I just don't see you getting a lot of playing time if you stick around. And who's coming in? Who should who should Zag Nation be excited about? Whether whether it's someone coming in via the portal or part of a, a freshman recruiting class. Yep. So um, I think it's just writing on the wall. I don't know if it's necessarily uh, you know they they see it. Ballo had minutes to to try to break into the rotation. Frankly, he probably should have been developed in a way that he was at least functional in March, um, but he wasn't, you know, for whatever reason. So I just think for them, the writing's on the wall. And then these are kids that want to play and want to want to contribute. Um, and so the transfer portal is there for that reason. Um, and so uh, I don't think it's a huge loss. Um, I think that front court gets pretty, um, uh, pretty heavy after being a little bit thin this year, especially as you talk about recruits, if they get Holmgren, Chet Holmgren, the national player of the year out of Minnesota, Jalen Suggs, former teammate to finally commit. He's been supposedly committing to Gonzaga for the past, I don't know, three or four years. I don't know. It feels like that long. Um, but if he finally commits that, that will really change the dynamic. Um, I think Drew Timmy's coming back which holds it down. Anton Watson, again, you know, Spokane uh, native and, and, and player. Um, I think, you know, just the writing's on the wall. And so I don't think that yeah. the transfer portal hurts, hurts uh, uh, GU at all with the sense of those two players testing it out. Gotcha. Last one I got for you. You keep hearing about these blue blood programs, Kansas, Kentucky. I'll throw North Carolina in there. Maybe yeah. UCLA in the heyday. Yeah. Should the nation consider the Zags, a blue blood program. What is the next, what else can we call them? Cause if they are elite, um, I think they have changed the dynamic of college basketball and I'll explain why coach few, um, you know, when he didn't go to greener pastures or a bigger program or a power five conference or whatever. And he said, I'm going to stay here in Spokane. I'm going to stay at Gonzaga. Why can't we win it from here? I think what that was a, a chain and kind of a paradigm shift for college basketball, because what it did was like, if the resources are there and, and, and Gonzaga has them, um, you know, the kids are, they, the kids are recognizing Gonzaga as this, as a powerhouse, as an elite program, they can win it from here. So, and you're starting to see, I mean, look at Shaka Smart who left Texas to go to Marquette, like who leaves Texas to go to Marquette, yeah. but he's like, I can win from anywhere. We can win from anywhere. Um, where that's changed in college basketball in the last, you know, decade plus, but you don't have to be Duke, North Carolina, Kentucky, Kansas, uh, UCLA in the heyday to win a national championship. You can win it from anywhere. And Gonzaga's proven that it at least has um, created that concept. And obviously, they haven't proven it yet, but they've created the concept that you can win from anywhere. And so um, they're definitely, you know, the, an elite program. Um, I always like to say, and I'm really proud of this because, um, you know, starting with us in 1999, like every generation has kind of put their fingerprints on it. But I always say, like, we're kind of first generation wealth because when we talk about our history, we're not talking about John Wooden's or Dean Smith's or, you know, uh, Fog Allen or, you know, we're, we're talking about ours. This is we're first generation wealth in this. And we all had our fingerprints and built this thing. Um, and so I don't think we have the, the longstanding tradition but I also think the luster of the blue bloods is fading a little bit. Uh, in addition to being 
Gonzaga royalty. Matt is also the executive <laughs> director. See, I'm, I'm just giving you all kinds yeah. of titles yeah. tonight, <laughs> right? I'll come right? on this show all the time. It's, it's, no, no, it's, you know, we don't have the money, so we'll do this. Um, executive director of HoopFest. So uh, because of the pandemic, you didn't get to go last summer. I believe you're yeah. rescheduled for September. Correct. Um, what's new? Um, how is that target date looking for you yeah. i mean the vaccination of the country is going very well um is that is that helping you is that giving you even more encouragement in terms of going i think we're gonna get this thing done yeah i'm optimistic so in phase two we're in phase three now in washington state but in phase two uh basketball became legal again so outdoor basketball not indoor but outdoor so we actually spun up a five-on-five -five outdoor league outside in spring in Spokane. We've gotten, we're five Saturdays in, we got three Saturdays. We use seven different parks all over town and we have youth through adult and wheelchair, wheelchair division out in the parks. Like it doesn't get any better. Like the parks are alive, socially distanced and safe, but we got basketball going on in Spokane awesome. right now. And so we're really excited about that. So we think, you know, that's one, one little, you know, uh, uh, point in our favor. Um, I think by September vaccinations and we, we HoopFest is large enough, fortunately, that we work with both the regional and health and the state health district. So we get to be kind of a part of some of the guidelines and how those things interact. Um, so I think we're going to have a good feel on it's not going to be HoopFest as we know it, you know, way Michael remembers it when he used to come in college, but it'll be a, a HoopFest in person. Um, so actually Monday, this coming Monday, um, our volunteer registration opens. So we'll start to take on our volunteers. And then June 1st, our player team registrations will open. So we'll really start to get a good pulse on, on people's desire to come out and play. But even last year, going into, um, you know, all the uncertainty and scariness and the skies falling, when we finally had to cancel and in, in late in the summer, we had like 2,500 teams that were coming no matter what. Mm. I mean, we were the, on accident, we were the, still going to be the largest three-on-three -three tournament in the world, you know. Wow. So I'm optimistic that this year, um, again, it won't live, we'll be reduced capacity. We'll have to be spaced out a little more. We're going to live within the guidelines as, as they, we understand them when we get there. Um, but again, we'll be playing basketball on the streets of Spokane. And that's the important thing. I'm sure you get flooded with volunteers, but if you want to give out uh, the website, if folks yeah. are interested in volunteering or, or playing, uh, tell them where to go. Yeah. So volunteer and playing, everything's at spokanehoopfest.net nothing but net lots of different ways to volunteer either on the weekend or um, before the weekend happens. Um, of course, court monitors are the big one. Those are the women and men that kind of manage the games on the courts themselves. Um, you get all Nike swag. We got a whole bunch of different incentives, kind of prizes and raffle prizes throughout for people to register early from fan caves to stays at the Davenport while you're volunteering um, different ways to get involved. Um, and we certainly need it. Like that's one of the beautiful yeah. things about HoopFest is that volunteer effort, about 3000 volunteers to execute HoopFest on a normal, on a normal HoopFest weekend. Um, and so, and then players, uh, teams will register in June on the same website, SpokaneHoopFest.net. I'm going to endorse HoopFest. I didn't get to playing it because I was a collegiate athlete at the time, but we used to go walk the streets. It is something special. If you have not been to HoopFest, you go check this thing out. I grew up at Hoop It Up down in L.A. It's yep. bigger than L.A. L.A., we got 20 million people. Spokane's Hoop Fest is something special. Go check it out. Love it. Thank you. Good stuff. And, and by the way, I look good in Nike gear. I'm just going to say that. I just <laughs> pulled that out. 
Matt, we appreciate uh, the insight and all things uh, Gonzaga with Coach Lloyd moving on to Arizona, the latest on Hoop Fest and uh, Coach Fuse program. We'll do it again real soon. All the best moving forward, okay? All right. Thank you for having me on. Thanks, Matt. Matt Santangelo, founding father of Gonzaga basketball and an Eastern Washington legend, as is Mr. Bumpus, as uh, we continue and shift gears, Michael, as we talk about the Seahawks. Um, let's talk about Alden Smith. Uh, the rush end, um, a guy last year with the Cowboys, five sacks, 50 pressures reportedly yeah. in town on Wednesday to meet with the Seahawks. All indications are, uh, this thing is going to get done. And my question is, is this actually, you know, we always talk about J Jadavion Clowney. I mean, on paper, on paper, um, in terms of production, this seems better than Clowney with the caveat of course there is there is potential baggage yeah. off the field issues with Smith but how do you break this down it's a bit different with Clowney you were counting on him to be the guy right Clowney's supposed to come in here and change the game and elevate this defense towards now if you are to get Smith he can be a guy he can be a guy to, to help this defense you already got Kerry you already have Benson Mayoa. Dunlap is back. You still got Puna Ford. You have other guys on this defensive line that are going to push this thing forward. If you're to get him, man, that's icing on the cake, I feel like. You have to deal with his extra baggage, but he sat for five years. Stayed out of trouble for five years. Mm -hmm. Yes, he has his issues. Everyone has issues. Mm -hmm. Is it public or not? <laughs> but his <laughs> issues are public. He was out there, set five years, had a good year with Dallas. If they can get this done, it's not going to happen until after May 3rd because of uh, money and all that stuff. If it does happen, I look at this defense as, on paper, one of the best defenses in the division, if not in the NFC. So mm -hmm. I'm excited about it. I hope it works out. And I hope he comes here and just falls in line. I mean, it's yeah. a great culture here. That's why Dunlap wanted to come back. Um, that's why guys kind of hang around because they like what's going on here. I love what Smith brings to the table. Um, I kind of, you know, because he's been so good to this franchise, because he is a he is the epitome of a stand-up guy, um, and he delivers on the field. I'm, I kind of feel bad for KJ Wright. Yeah. I feel bad for what's going on. He's not, he is not, regardless of where he ends up, he is not getting the payday that he was hoping for. But on the plus side, I think as, as long as this goes on, Michael, it seems to increase the odds of him returning to Seattle. Do you see that the same way? As an athlete, I wish KJ got what he's worth because I feel like he's got at least two or three more good years in him. He should be getting paid about 10, nine, $10 million yeah. a year, yep. but that's not going to happen now as a Seahawks supporter, as an analyst, I'm like, okay, that's going to help the Seahawks. The longer he's out there, the more it favors the Seahawks. And it's just because of his birthday. If he had a 95 on that birth certificate, it'd be a little bit different, mm. but um, he's an 80s baby. He's older. He's been up there. He's coming off his best two seasons, Tom. His best two seasons as a pro, unfortunately, is later. If those two seasons happen five years prior to this, this guy's getting paid as much as uh, Bobby Wagner. Okay, but let me ask you this. But that, you know, it's interesting because it seems like he is then being judged by a metric that maybe doesn't apply to him. Maybe, maybe he's one of those guys. Uh, I'm not saying he's Tom Brady-esque. 
But you know what I mean? No one would have ever projected Brady being as effective as he is, as great as he has been. If you pick them up at the same point in in his career, it's physically more demanding to play linebacker than quarterback, right? (laughs) Yes. So there's, there's more mileage that way for KJ, but it's, it almost seems unfair that at least on a two year deal, it's, it's not that he's being judged. It's the position and that age you talked about that that's being judged. Yeah. Because he's a guy who is going to, require and demand a bunch of money and teams look at him like, all right, well, let's get some guy, a guy who's younger, who can develop and he's cheaper. It all comes down to money at this point. And KJ saved his best for last and his bite him in the butt right now. Uh, But I hope he's back. And if you know anything about KJ, he is one of the best human beings I've ever talked to Mm -hmm. him and Tyler Lockett. I put them up there with anybody. So you wish the best for this guy, but end of the day, it's a business. And he can be really expensive. If he were to get a deal done real early in free agency, he's going to cost some money. So everyone's sitting back and saying, all right, let's see what everyone else does. Let's see what other offers he has out there. And if we can get him on the cheap, get him on the cheap. I hope he is back as a Seattle Seahawk. I think Jordan Brooks is a good ball player. He can fill in if that's the role he needs to play. But you want a guy like KJ right on the field, on the team for you, past football, his leadership, um, his personality. He's an ambassador of Seattle Seahawks football. You want a guy like KJ. So you hit on all the things that, that make him special character issues, right? But going, can, can a guy be impacted just generally speaking, let's not talk about KJ, just generally speaking, can, can a guy be impacted going through something like this where you're near the end of your career, you feel like you, you were in essence forced into a deal in which you have been undervalued that you are being paid well below your most recent seasons of productivity can subconsciously, can that impact you on the field? It can, if you let it. And if people who surround you, whose opinions you value um, kind of push you that way. End of the day, you got to be realistic with who you are and what you mean to this game. And KJ is a smart guy. He is sharp. He knows off of the past two years, this is what I am worth. But in this market, at my position, at my age, if my agent is giving me good information, this is probably what I'm valued at in the league. Now, your worth and your value to the league are two different things. It's worth-wise, you should pay the man. But his value to the league, when you compare him to younger guys at his position, it's just not as high as his productivity says. So he has to, at some point, he played a mental battle in his head. This is what I'm worth. This is what I know I've done. But with my age and the miles I have on my body, this is where the league values me. I just hope his agent is keeping him positive and just being realistic with him. Mm -hmm. Good point. Um, Antonio Brown, we've we've talked a lot about a potential uh, need for, well, not a potential need, a need for a number three receiver, right? Yeah. Uh, we, we know for some reason, Russell has an, an affinity for Antonio Brown. Do, do you see Antonio Brown as a potential, potential answer there? I'm not sure how much money is left in terms of trying to bring, bring free agents in, or would the Hawks be better served, uh, you know, staying within or trying to find that person uh, heading into a draft in which they currently only have three picks. I don't, I don't think you touch Antonio Brown. I know that he's had a year of, um, good behavior. He won a Super Bowl. 
had 400 plus yards, four touchdowns last year. So those are number three type numbers, right? But he's still going to require more than a league minimum. There's a guy on their roster right now, Freddie Swain, who's going to be cheaper than AB, doesn't come with the baggage. Also a guy in John Rasua. But I also think they're going to go on to the draft and draft a receiver. Uh, honestly, I think that. So if you were in dire need of a receiver, maybe if you needed a number two receiver, then I think you kind of press for AB. But because he's he's older and you have younger, cheaper guys on your roster right now, you got three picks in the draft. Something tells me Schneider's going to turn that into four or five. Mm-hmm. I think you go that route. It's not worth the drama. This offense was one of the best offenses in the NFL for half a season without AB. I don't right. think AB is going to make them the best offense in the league. You go cheaper, you go younger. That's the angle I take. And that's an offense that just still includes one Tyler Lockett, speaking yep. of, of receivers. And he, he's made some... Uh, recent comments about the, the Hawks offense needing to be uh, uh, more pliable, if you will, more adjustable. Um, yeah. What did you hear in those comments? What, what were your takeaways from that? I heard a guy who felt like they were predictable and the defense figured them out. And that could be frustrating as a receiver because all you can do is run the play. Coach calls the play, you got to run it. You're not going to freelance and do your own thing because people expect you to be in certain places at certain times. So I hear a guy who's like, look, I'm excited that we have a new offensive coordinator coming in because maybe that's going to give some fresh eyes to this offense and allow them to adjust. That's the only thing that hurt this offense is they just didn't adjust. And he realizes that and he knows he's a key component in the success of this offense. And I think he's excited to have Shane Waldron. We're going to wrap it up uh, with a, a quick chat about um, baseball and specifically uh, Mariners left-hander James Paxton. He is done for the season. Tommy John's surgery on the schedule. His season lasted in his only start 24 pitches after 24. signing an $8.5 million contract. So per pitch this season, James, $354,166 and 66 cents. Okay. Uh, not his fault. Injuries oh. happen. Injuries happen. I, I still like the signing by the Mariners. It, it made sense. Um, my hope is this, uh, because clearly the Mariners and, and James have had a good relationship. Otherwise he wouldn't have circled back around. My hope okay. is this, that he is once healthy, willing to re-sign with this franchise f- for close to the big league minimum. Because to me, that would be, look, get as much as you can. Don't get me wrong. My point is, um, I'm not sure how much leverage he'll have, but we've seen a lot of guys come back really well after Tommy John surgery. I hope, and I think he's the kind of guy that would say, you know what? 24 pitches, eight and a half million. Uh, Maybe I owe them a little bit. Maybe I can take a bit of a home. I'm a BC guy, but maybe I can take a bit of a home town discount that's my hope i i I just i want to see him pitch here healthy again and uh have a nice bow and a nice finish to his story as a mariner if this were a guy who were just trying to make their money i wouldn't count on him taking the discount guy has money he's getting eight million this Uh year he was with the yanks he made his money there so his situation is a bit different it's unfortunate his whole career has been played with injuries so some of the the naysayers are gonna say i told you so I told you you don't take a, a risk on this guy, but you do because you see when he's healthy, the stuff that he brings to the uh-huh. table. So I think that there's a possibility that he comes back for a discount. 
Now, it's not going to be Dollar Tree discount. You know, it's going to be from Nordstrom's to Target discount. <laughs> and it's going to be anything crazy. You can't disrespect the man, but you would think that these guys took a chance on him to be back. Michael, maybe he can meet at the middle at the Nordstrom rack. More maybe, yeah, he can just, maybe he can bridge Target and, and regular Nordstrom with Nord, oh. Nordstrom rack. And that, Nordstrom would, rack. that would work. <laughs> Get that rack discount. All right, buddy. Hey, it's always good to connect. We'll do it again next week. Good stuff. And we want to thank uh, Matt Santangelo again. Really interesting uh, stuff he had to say about uh, Gonzaga basketball and where they are coming off the championship game. Lost to Baylor and Tommy Lloyd taking over that Arizona program. Have a good week. Oh, hey, wait. How's the foot? How's the foot here? How's the toe? How's the broken toe? I'm out the boot. I'm walking. I'm moving. I'm playing golf. I'm good, man. Oh, already back on the golf course. I don't even think we can call that an injury. That's not even official. (laughs) All right, man. You have a great night with the family. We'll do it again next week. Thanks, Tom. Appreciate you.